Welcome to episode four of the Winning Wealth Podcast. On this episode, we talked about what you need to know to do your first deal. We broke it down into six steps. Let's get into it. All right. So today we're going to be talking about what you need to know to do your first deal. And this is for any listeners that, and we're talking real estate because of our background. Um, you can apply this this six-step process to doing all sorts of different deals. But but for the sake of this show, we're going to be talking about how to do your first real estate deal and what you need to know. And we've outlined a six-step process uh, to make it succinct uh, and, and really get you over the hump and get that first deal done. And um, and then as you've said before, you know, it's like the domino effect, right? You get a deal done. Exactly. A lot of the first two. I don't know who coined that one, but I like it. It's great. And, and it works. It really works. So let's get into it. Um, step one, we said, was define the path. And and what that means is, you know, trying to figure out exactly in real estate, there's so many different paths that you can do. You can make a lot of money and build wealth in real estate, whether you have a flipping business or whether you... Um, you know, or, or whether you're doing bigger commercial deals, you want to get into development or you want to buy value add multifamily, you know, you, you've got to, and I, and I tell people to, to go broad first, learn as much as they can about how real estate works in general, how finance works in general, how business works in general. And, um, and then, and then from there niche down into what you think is uh, is is going to be the most complementary towards your skill set and all, honestly what you're most uh, interested in because if you're interested in it you're 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 spending the additional time even subconscious you might be dreaming I dream about it a lot of times <laughs> I really do well, I, like you're saying I, mean, I think we start with all right so you want to get into real estate right it's it's a broad industry but so you got to start with learning about what real estate is right the basics because a lot of the basics apply to anything in real estate but then after that. I mean, there's so many different ways you can go. You can go flipping, wholesaling, commercial, buying duplexes. I mean, there's just so many different paths to go. So I agree. I think it's you should start with first, okay, we want to get into real estate. Let's learn some of the basics. And then from there, niche down and say, okay, I'm going down wanting to buy commercial. I'm, my path is to buy two to four unit residential properties. Yep. And you really just niche down from there. So I, yeah, that's and, step one. And there is, you know, so as as you, we'll talk about it. We'll just get into step two then. What, what, is, what is step two? Get educated. So once you figure out, all right, let's say commercial properties, that's that's the avenue I'm trying to go down. Read books, podcasts, YouTube videos, just consume as much content as you can. I know like when I was when I was starting, it was several podcasts a day, reading books, watching YouTube videos. There's so much free content out there that you can learn so much from. Um, so it's like you just consume as much of that as possible and that'll lead to everything else. It's the information age. And so there's no excuse uh, for anybody these days to not be able to get educated and get informed around, you know, uh, ways to build wealth in real estate. And so, and, and each, you know, if you start with a broad real estate investing, you know, or a few broad real estate investing and business books, uh, and then you, you decide, Hey, maybe like you were saying, maybe I want to do two to four unit, small multifamily deals. And that's where, you know, maybe that in the market that you know that you feel most comfortable with, maybe there's a lot of them there and you feel like you can get uh, economies of scale and, and build out a portfolio of those and they're, easy, you know, can be easier to manage. Um, you know, you can find books specifically on that. I read, I read a book 
uh, I can't remember the name of it, but, but basically investing in duplexes, triplexes, and quads. And and that's that guy lays out the plan for for doing that and building a portfolio of that over time. That's and a niche. Yeah. Exactly. And there's that's the same thing with mobile home parks, right? If you want to get into value add, bigger multifamily deals, um, B and C class. There's a ton of uh, of content out there about that. Self storage, uh, industrial, like what we're doing. Uh, not as much information out there, but there's, like you said, I, I have a YouTube premium. I walk my dog, Jordy, and I'm listening to YouTube premium all the time. I get home at night, you know, I might watch a little bit of sports, but I'm watching, you know, something on YouTube premium with no no ads and where I can get some information out of, out of the content that, that um, you know, that I'm watching. And then I would say uh, also the next step, once you've, you know, I've read 50 plus books on real estate. First I read 50, you know, maybe not 50, but 20 or so books on sales. And when I started making money, then I started uh, figuring out that real estate was going to be a, a path that I was going to use to to try to accumulate wealth. And then I read as much as I could about that. I was listening to Bigger Pockets probably, you know, every day for three years. Um, and there's a lot of variety there too. So, so it's, it's very broad there. And then once you kind of, you know, figure out the path and, and the niche that you want to be in and you're getting more granular with your studying and your, um, you, can, you can then join a, a mastermind or a coaching program. And there's a ton of them out there uh, that, that you can add a lot of value. Well, I joined um, Jake and Gino's Wheelbarrow Profits uh, before we ever syndicated any deal, I might have talked about that on another show. But basically, um, you know, I was able to to have a group of like-minded people that were going out and trying to do the same thing: buy value-add multifamily uh, properties, and you know, raise money to 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 go buy bigger properties than than I could afford on my own. Moving well, from the, I, I think a lot of people get stuck at this at the stage, the education stage. Like I think the most common question I get from people that are trying to get started. They figure out the first step, right? They define, hey, I'm trying to buy a duplex. Where do I start? And it starts with getting educated, right? And this is where if you can't find 30, 60 minutes a day when you're on your walk, you're driving to work, you're at your workout, whatever you're doing, to put it in your ear pods and listen to it, I mean, then then you're probably not going to do much in, in business in general because you got to carve out that time. If you can just 60 minutes a day dedicate to learning you'll within three months, you'll be so, so much further ahead. I know when, like when I was starting, but I was working at my job, I was doing a lot of stuff that was just mindless, yeah. work, like entering data. And I would have bigger pockets podcasts just running like eight hours a day. And I, those like year and a half, I did that. Like I learned so much. And we talk about like uh, compounding interest and, and how money and wealth can, can compound, but it, information does too. Warren Buffett uh, is, you know, he, he's talked about this quite a bit as well. Like and he spends most of his day just reading and studying. Mark Cuban talks about it. Obviously, Warren and Charlie Munger, they read a ton. So that's a common theme across successful people. And so if you're not willing to put in the time to get educated, get informed, and stay informed, this is a lifelong, you got to be a lifelong learner, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then you're just, you know, you're not going to make it, right? It's, it's, it's how bad do you want it at that point? One thing too I'd bring up is like the whole masterminds and coaching thing you're talking about. I think people ask like, do I really need it? Can I just figure it out on my own? I think you can learn a ton for free online, right? Like you spokes, podcasts, YouTube, learn so much. But I think really it's not 100% necessary. Like I, I invested in some courses and coaching when I was going, but it gets to a certain point where you're really trying to commit and do something. 
I think it just fast tracks. If you join a mastermind, if you hire sure. a coach, you you pay a thousand dollars for a course, whatever it is, it fast tracks your progress. You might be able to piece together a lot of that stuff online and, and go to different networking events and, and do things like that. But I think investing in those sort of things ultimately just will speed track everything by six months to a year. Yeah, and maybe I mean maybe more. You, you never know. I, I totally agree. Even if you have that DNA that like, hey, I'm going to go out and get this done, and I'm going to learn everything I can about it, get educated. And go out and do deals on my own. I mean, I, I don't think Adam's ever paid for Adam's our other partner. I don't think he's ever uh, done a course or a mastermind. But that's that's him, right? Um, you know, but he learned through doing it, and and he was able to get educated and get you know informed about that. But if if you any time that I've made an investment in my education, uh, not not necessarily college, but like something like this, very specific. Uh, I've, I've made, that's where I've gotten the best returns on, on any of my money, um, you know, versus any, any other sort of investment. I agree. It's actually funny to say that. I mean, college overall, it's not to go too far that way, but it's like spent six figures on college. I feel like literally some of the courses I paid a thousand dollars for, I've gotten more value than for sure. six years of a hundred thousand dollars in college. Yeah. That's, that's a different, uh, that's a topic for another show, I think, but, uh, it's quite a racket. So step one, define the path. Step two, get educated. Step three, network and begin to build out your team. So in real estate, you've got to kind of identify the team members, whether that's a capital partner, um, you know, a key partner that's going to sign on the loan with you uh, and provide the capital or uh, even just lenders, brokers, um, attorneys, right? People that can help you and they all have a network as well. And just also partners like you and I met, right? Like on, we met on bigger pockets and being able to network and find people that have different skill sets that complement yours is uh, another way that, you know, if you, if you want to go fast, I think the African proverb is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Uh, and I think that that holds true. So just getting out, networking, building out your team and knowing who you're going to work with when, when you can get to the point of finding deals. I think that you mentioned it quickly with that story of like you, how you and I got connected and started could kind of show just the power of networking. So I think we been like what four or five years ago um, through Bigger Pockets, which is a great platform. And we went on an ice so, cream date at Culver's. <laughs> yeah, we were we were chatting and like we're like, hey, let's just meet up. No agenda, even just like hey, let's just go shoot the shit, talk about real estate. We met up. We both had the same sort of goal, right? We we owned some properties, but we wanted to go bigger. Yep. Continue talking. Ultimately, you know, fast forward a few months later, like, hey, let's let's do this together and get into business together. So that's just, I mean, goes from casual networking to what it is today. I think that can apply to everywhere, right? So it's like for you, I guess, question for you, like if you're, you know, someone that's trying to say, okay, go out and network. It can be a scary like word for a lot of people that aren't comfortable and going going into a big crowd and telling yeah. what they want to do. Like, where should someone start if they're trying to identify like, okay, I want to go network and meet other real estate people. Where do I go? How do I do it? Well, so that's a good, I mean, so for me, I, I don't necessarily have um, that problem that, that I think some people do. Um, it can be an uncomfortable experience. And even, you know, walking up to introduce yourself to anybody for anyone is is uncomfortable, right? Uh, so, so first thing I would say is it just takes reps, right? Like you got to just... The more you introduce yourself and your goals and your ideas uh, and how you're able to help other people, you know, the the easier it gets. And then it just becomes, you know, like second nature. So that's one. You got to kind of push through the fire uh, in in networking uh, to, to make it so that it's like effortless. 
I would say I'm on the other end. I was I was scared as hell. Like the first yeah. rookie event I went to was this local event in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where I'm from. And I remember I'd listened to some podcasts, read a few books, like had this grand idea of wanting to go out and buy a duplex. And I roll into this networking event. And every, it's like 10 people and everyone there has already done five deals. They're talking about what they're making on this flip they're doing. And I'm just sitting there like I've never done a deal. I was scared to ask questions. So, but I, like you said, I kept going to that event every week. And after a few months, it's like, People are accepting of, you can go to these events and talk to someone that owns a hundred units. Yeah. Generally, 99% of the time, that person is going to talk to you and, and give you advice. Exactly. You just got to let them know where you're at. This is where I'm at. And this is what my goal is. And you just keep doing and it. And how you can maybe help them. What if, yeah, or, yeah. or you might yeah. be able to offer to help mm. somebody else, right? Uh, I think that's a key point about networking. It's not It's not about you, really. It's In networking, it's more, I've always looked at it like, how can I help you? You know, what are you trying to do? How can I help you? And then it naturally goes, uh, flows to, you know, here's what I'm looking to do. And maybe, you know, someone that can help me or that I should get in touch with. And, um, you know, so I think, you know, if, if someone's very, uh, you know, uncomfortable and scared, you just got to kind of boss up and, and, and go forward. And I mean, look at, look at you, right. You're, you're, you're now you're, uh, posted on Instagram and social media and everything that stuff's uncomfortable I walked I, I went into a gym today for uh, the first time I did a workout class 6 15 a.m it was great you know I didn't know anyone right so it you know those are uncomfortable experiences but the more that you do it, it it's it's just it becomes somewhat effortless I agree and how so like someone that's saying okay yeah I want to go find the network event what's the best way to find those networking events well, we all have Google, right? So you can you can go on Google and just type in, you know, real estate networking Milwaukee, right? Um, you know, Bigger Pockets is a great resource. Meetup.com. I've got a subscription to Meetup.com, and I have different, uh, you know, locations and and topics in there. That if I see Meetup, uh, you get an email. I think on a weekly basis, at least I have it set up for that. Um, I see events that I think, oh, that could be that could be interesting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, one thing I would do to push yourself uh, is to almost, you know, track it. Like how many, like how many networking events do I want to go to on a monthly basis or a weekly basis, right? And then hold yourself accountable to it. You know, things are going to come up. You're not going to want to go. You're going to be busy with life, and um, and then just the natural, you know, uncomfortability of networking in general, especially when it's forced, like speed dating or something. That that's that's uncomfortable. So. But if you track it and you're just consistently getting out there, um, you know, then, you know, you're able to, you start to stack up wins. Yeah. And I think like no matter pretty much where anyone lives, right? Unless you're like in the middle of nowhere in Alaska, it's, there's local real estate networking events. You might have to drive 20 minutes, but there's always going to be some. And there's also a lot of virtual events. I For think, sure. you know, you could, you could go online and find a million different virtual events that are happening every week. But I would ramp the question too, like, what do you think? I think a lot of people get caught in just going to virtual events because you avoid that that uncomfortable situation because you can just be on Zoom and like, who cares, right? Yeah. But do you think like a virtual networking event versus an in-person networking event, do you think you get more benefits? I, I think I think you get more benefits in person no matter what. And that's whether you're on a sales call or you have a meeting with somebody uh, or you like if anytime you can be in person, you can build a connection so much easier and you know, if I'm on a Zoom call, there's a good chance I might be multitasking, right? I'm looking at something else. I've got a lot going on. Um, you know, if if there's a topic that's super relevant, it's like sort of a virtual networking. 
Uh, I don't think it's it's not all bad, but I don't think it's as powerful as in person meeting someone, looking them in their eyes, shaking their hand, and asking them, "How can I help you? What are you working on?" You know, and yeah. getting to learn more about them, and then in turn, you know, you, you'll be able to share more about what you what you're looking for and what um, what they might be able to help you with. Yep, no, I agree. Yeah, so it's go online, find a local event, sign up, and just show up, and just let people know what you're trying to do. And how you can help them, that. and then yeah. and then and then hold yourself accountable to 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 doing more and more of these, and that's something that I should I should continue to do more of. And then here's another tip that I, I just this off the cuff here is uh, you can start your own networking. We started uh, the Wisconsin Apartment Investors, um, and we we started doing these. We'd have 50 people show up to these events. Once you start and you have these events, we're planning a bigger event this year. We did a big one last year. You know, each each time, you know, with with you know, we did a monthly meetup, and then I did a lunch and learn thing for a while too, where I would, you know, we'd get 20, 30 people showing up. Sometimes, it, you know, it might be a little bit of a lighter month, but the the key point that I'm trying to make here is if you are the one orchestrating the event or one of the people orchestrating the event, you automatically have some authority. People come up to you. It's a great way to meet investors. It's a great way to you know meet meet all these other partners. So if you can't find a networking event that is interesting to you or, um, you know, you can go to your local RIA and, you know, so, some of these networking events, I'd, I'd been to a ton of them and I just didn't find a whole lot of value in in some of them, right? And that's that's okay, right? You got to like kiss a lot of frogs to find a, mm-hmm. a prince, I think they say, but, you know, you see, so you, you, you know, you, you get a lot of reps that way. But then if you think there's a, a niche that's uh, interesting to you, that would be interesting to other people, you can just go on meetup.com. You got to figure out the location and the space and figure out a way to make it unique and relevant to other people. And then, you know, you're going to, you're going it, to, it becomes really easy to network when you're the one putting the thing on. Yeah. I think looking back at it, when you and I started that and our third partner, something with it too, but we didn't have a ton of experience. So we kind of just started hosting these events and looking back on it, that was really the launch to our business. For sure. Like we found our first investors there. Yep found some deals from there. I mean, it, it really kickstarted. Matt, we bring, you'd bring in speakers that had all yep. that had all this experience. That's instant rapport because you're giving them a platform. Exactly. So I think that fast-tracked everything. So I, I agree. I mean, if you're looking, if you're especially if you're searching around your local market and you see there's not any networking events, it's even more of a reason to do it. Even more of a reason to do it. And then figure out ways to make it, you know, make it great. Make it something that people are going to enjoy going to. Make it fun. You know, you know make it something that... Uh, make it more comfortable for people to be able to uh, introduce themselves and, yeah. and what they're looking for and in a, in a, um, in, in a, a fun w- setting. I mean, yeah, and we, we, we even like, I remember we would, we'd pay for drinks, we'd yeah, get pizza, pizza, we'd have the venue, we didn't charge for any of it. So like, I, we, it wasn't a ton of money, but it'd be a couple hundred bucks every event we would do. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like, you know, I remember a lot of people would ask like, oh, why, why are you guys paying for that? Like not charging for this or why yeah. a sponsor? It was just, we saw the value of like a couple hundred dollars a month to throw this event and bring everyone together. All it has to take is one investor or one new relationship or one new deal. And then you kind of become the authority figure. People were coming up to us and asking us uh, questions about our business. You know, they, you, if you're the one putting it on, you, you really get a platform to, uh, to, to make networking super easy for you. Well, then also, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's like if you go to the event as, as an attendee, Right, you're usually the one kind of searching out, trying to find people to talk to. Yeah, you're the one hosting the event. Like you have a line of people that want to talk. They're to coming you. to talk After to you, speaker, which is which is great. So I think either way, host your event, attend events, but just get out there and network. Hundred percent. 
we got on a tangent there, but that's okay because yeah. that's important. That was a good one. Good I, one. I can't I can't decide which one of these steps is the most important. They're all they're all critical. It's hard to say. Yeah. But what's the next step? Deal flow, finding deals. So after we've defined the path, got educated, went out and networked, now it's time to find the deals. And I mean, this is a super relevant topic. This might be to me actually the most important one right now, especially because it's so hard to find deals. Yeah. But this is when you're actually finding deals. Yeah, I would say at this point you've already got your your buy box identified. Like this is when I find this deal and it checks these boxes, uh, you know I'm, we're pulling the trigger and we're getting something done. Uh, so so you can go and then start uh, to to generate deal flow. You go to the broker community. You go to you know basically uh, you take kind of that networking approach and put it in overdrive in a systematic format to reach out to brokers, to reach out to sellers to reach out to, you know, even even accountants, lenders, right? You can find deals from from those channels as well and and just tell them what you're looking for. This is the deal I'm looking for. If it meets these parameters, I'm a buyer. And then and basically, you know, you're building rapport and you're you're looking at everything from a long term relationship perspective. Like if you want to get into the real estate business, this is not a business to get in and get out of in a year or two or three. Like this is something that I'm gonna do the rest of my life. You know, mm. hopefully I'll be doing deals when I'm 80, you know, and, you know, if you're building a long-term relationship with these people, you're not expecting them to have something for you right away, but you're trying to convince them that, hey, you're going to be easy to do business with. You're going to be a closer if, if, if the deal meets that parameter and, um, and you're going to be in this thing for the long haul. I think, so let's, let's kind of go a little bit deeper on this one. So to me, there's really two ways you find deals. One is through brokers. One is direct to seller. So let's talk about like some strategies if you're going, let's start with broker. If you're going, building a relationship with a broker, I, so many people will just find that broker online, send them an email or give them a call. Hey, I'm looking for a five unit in this area. Great. The broker says awesome. The broker adds you to their email list. that has a thousand other people on it. And that person hangs up the phone thinking their job is done. I'm just going to sit back and wait for that deal to come. Yeah, no way. That's not how it works. That's a good start. You got to have that initial call to get on the broker's radar, but you need to nurture that relationship. You need to meet with them in person. You need to stay in touch with them once a month. You need to really build that relationship because since I've been in real estate, right, it's always been more of a seller's market. So that broker has 500 people calling them asked to buy and two people calling them asking to sell. So you need your work way up to the top of that list. So when the broker gets that call from the seller saying, hey, yeah, I'll, I'd sell. He's calling you. She's calling you first. Yeah. And not just, you're not getting the email blast because then you have more, you have a better chance of getting that deal. Yeah. So the way to do that, I think, is to build rapport with them. Like we were saying, uh, you know, let them know that you're a closer and let them know that, you know, so, so, so handle any objections or reservations that they might have about you, even if you're new. Right. Um, and then, you know, Basically, you've got to get them to like you. People do business with people that they like. So you've got to get them to like you enough to basically uh, send send the good deals your way first. Yeah. That's, that's key. So if you're calling that broker, right, I think at the end of the day, there's some great brokers. We work with a lot of great brokers. Um, at the end of the day, the most important thing for the broker is, is this person going to close because I want my commission? To be honest, like brokers really don't care if you're going to make money after they sell you the deal. They really don't care what happens. On the good two. ones do, and they, you partner with them. They do, and but do a lot of repeat deals. High level, they the most important thing to them is the commission. Yeah. So when you're calling them, asking them to send you a deal, 
And then they, they had the question you're going to get most often, especially when you're starting is where are you getting your funding from? Yeah. You know, how, how are you going to close on this deal? Yeah. So for someone that maybe doesn't have all the funding lined up, they're not, they're going to bring in partners and maybe raise some money. How do you answer that question when the broker asks that? I mean, you, you've got to, you've got to, that's why you really have to take the education part serious because you need to know this stuff cold. You need to be able to talk their lang their lingo, their language, and you need to be able to project confidence. You need to, be able to pick up the phone and call that guy and, and have him be like, well, shit, he hasn't bought a deal yet, but he seems like he really knows what he's talking about. And, yep. you know, so if you don't have the capital lined up yet, you know, I would argue if you don't have any sort of like, any sort of capital partnerships in mind or anything like that, you, you probably got to go back to the networking phase and figure out, you know, before you, before you start banging the phone and calling all these brokers or going direct to sellers, um, you, you've probably got to figure out, Hey, if I get a deal, you know, uh, back in, 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 you know, when you're in step three, if I get a deal, would you be interested in partnering on something like this? And here's sort of the, the structure that I'm looking at. And if you get enough of those, then you can go to the broker and just say, "Hey, yeah, I've got, I've got investors." Yeah. And I think this, so. This was a mistake I think I made early on when I was starting. Is I was doing step two, three, and four all at the same time. I was doing the education, the networking, and I started calling bro. I started calling brokers too soon. Yeah. Because I, I remember I got a list of fifteen brokers that were doing multifamily deals in southeastern Wisconsin. I just started calling, "Hey, I'm looking for a deal," and this and this sort of buy box. And they were asking questions I just didn't know the answer to. They, like you said, they would say a term, right? Like a cap rate or something. Yeah. I just fully didn't understand what it meant. Yeah. Probably said a dumb answer. Or they asked, where's the capital coming from? And my response was like, oh, I, I don't really know. I like kind of figured it out. The broker's just going to discount that, right? Like yeah. They might you know, put you on their list, but they're not necessarily going to take you seriously. So that's why we say in this order, right? Get educated, learn the basics, understand what the terms mean. So when the broker asks you that, you know how to respond. You know what they're talking about. Network have your have your connections in place so when you're calling that broker you don't have to have 100 percent everything in line but you have to be a good part of the way so when you call that broker yeah you're confident and you have you you have everything in place so you can tell them hey i'm going to close and this is how i'm going to do it and, and you can write out like um you know if i have an important call i typically write out like a script or i have a no in my apple notes so if i'm sitting in front of my computer i can literally look at it and 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 then when i have these bullet points down I know I can hit on them and I know I can project confidence because I have that right in front of me. Or if I'm, you know, if I'm driving, um, you know, I can pull it up or pull over and see it on my notes app on my phone. So you, you kind of want to have like a script of, you know, how you're going to open the call and where you're going to take it. And, and then, you know, remember that it's all kind of about, you know, them and how they get paid, you know? Right. So you, yeah. it's projecting confidence. And, and I would, I would, I mean, there's many times over the years that I would literally talk to myself in the mirror as if I'm like having a conversation. I still do it sometimes. And I talk to myself all the time. I talk a lot, but you know, if you're in the shower, you're, you know, you're on a run, you're thinking about stuff. You, you want to go through these conversations in your mind first, because then you're, it's just going to roll off your tongue. You know, you might want to say it to your buddy, you know, you might want to like whoever talk to your dad about it. And, and, you know, and then just, if you're, if you do the right, like systematic approach to what we're talking about and you really truly get educated and you can teach it to other people then you're going to be able to speak the language and you're going to be able to portray yourself as a confident buyer yeah so yes yeah, so brokers the other one was direct direct to seller this one to me is more it's more of a grind for sure oh yeah you know you're going to go out 
buy a data list generally or compile your data list on your own. You're going to cold call them. You're going to send them letters. It's a lot more hours. But if you can connect direct to seller, generally you're able to cut out the broker commissions. So you're able to work out a little bit better of a deal. Sometimes you can find someone in distress that might not necessarily know what their property's worth. This one takes a lot more time. And I know we've, we're actually like re- rebuilding kind of our systems for calling off market properties. We've done it in the past. Haven't had it as much success with, with this compared to brokers. I think for us, brokers is, is the best avenue. Um, but I would say, I think it also depends on what property you're trying to buy. Exactly. It's, it's what, if you're trying to go buy a, a commercial property, I mean, a broker is worth their weight in gold. Um, we, we have an off market deal flow. We call it the deal machine that we're, uh, actually building out right now so that we can get ahead of some stuff. And, and, and I just look at that as one, you know, one Avenue, right. Where I still think most of our deals are going to come through brokers that we have relationships with or some that we maybe haven't even met yet. But if we have that, we're actively out looking for deals, right? We're having, we're trying to get those conversations started. And then what the brokers bring us if we can nurture those those relationships and get into their you know their top five or top three list of buyers for that type of product, um, that's just going to be kind of you know the cherries on top. And so you're you're just you're you're expending energy and resources to try to find deals in whatever way you can. And you have to have a systematic approach for that too. I think brokers are worth their weight in gold. If you're buying you know single family houses. Um, you know, or if you're doing, you know, obviously wholesaling, you're, you're cutting out the broker that way. But if you're doing smaller, like residential deals, you could really lean more on a off-market direct-to-seller campaign mm. as, you know, sending mailers, cold calling, and following up on that stuff. That's a that's a big channel that a lot of people use in that, in the smaller, um, you know, single family game and smaller, you know, small multifamily two to four unit thing. But as you get up into bigger commercial properties, you really want to like lean on the broker's experience. I mean, and, and a lot of people try to, you know, will will try to cut down a broker's commission a little bit. That's 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 never a good move, really. They're they're worth every penny if they can help you get the right deal and mm-hmm. and help you think about it the right way. I agree, and I think to close this step out, I would say you also have to expect to look at and underwrite a lot of deals. A lot of people think like coming in, like they're going to do this work and the first deal they see is going to be amazing. Maybe you get lucky, but realistically right now, I mean, you got to look at a hundred deals to find one, to yeah. buy one. So maybe more. maybe more. So I think it's in a practice I would say that I've gotten used to is when a broker sends you a deal too, and you see it and maybe it doesn't, you don't like the deal for one reason or another. It's not the right location. Numbers don't work, whatever it is. Always respond back to that. Underwrite the deal, do the analysis but always respond back to that broker and let them know why the deal doesn't work and remind them of what kind of deal you're looking for. Exactly. You, know, you just As much touch points as you can get with brokers, the more they're going to remember you and the more they're going to remember what you're trying to buy. Yep. So when they get a seller that matches what you're trying to buy, they're calling you first instead of hitting their big email list. Exactly. And you're staying top of mind with them and, and you're, you know, con- consistent communication. I would say back even to the underwriting a lot of deals and, and you because every deal is a little bit different, right? And, and they're not just numbers on, on on a page. There's a quantitative aspect and a qualitative aspect. So you can take a look at each deal, go through the exercise of underwriting it and actually really putting yourself in uh, in the mindset of like, if I, if I was to buy this, this is what I would like about it, right? And then summarize what you did or didn't like and, you know, put those as, you know, bullet points to the broker on, you know, but here's what I'm looking for. You know, here's, I didn't like this, this, and this. It's not a deal for me. 
thanks so much for sending it. But, uh, you know, if you have anything that meets this criteria, you know, please think of me first. Yep. Yep. I agree. Um, all right. Step five, close the deal. Yeah, that's right. Close the deal. The fun part. That's right. That is, yeah, they're all fun, but this is, uh, this is, this is where, uh, you know, you get real excited. There's real excitement around that. Once you get a deal under contract, you know, uh, you're going to go through due diligence then. Uh, and you're really looking for any skeletons in the closet, anything that could kind of kill the deal, which, which would be a major thing. You never, you don't ever want to like, um, in my opinion, you don't want to retrade on anything, like renegotiate the deal on anything that's like minor, you know, don't, don't, um, what's the saying? Don't step over dollars to pick up pennies, Mm -hmm. you know? So anything minor, uh, you know, that, that's okay. You can make a note of it and maybe that adjusts your business plan a little bit once you close the deal. But in your in due diligence, you're looking for any just major deal breakers. I, I would agree. Yeah, I don't think it's you see people that will go back and retrade someone for five thousand dollars, and it's like unless it's a really small deal, maybe it makes a difference. But on a larger deal, it doesn't make a difference. But things like this happened to us, right? Like we got a deal in contract, move forward. Seller was being pretty vague about the roof. We yeah. get up on this roof. It was a couple it was hundred thousand we square through. foot industrial building. Yeah. Ultimately, the roof was it was over a million dollars was the quote to replace the roof. That item we can't just swallow and say, yeah, we're not going to retrade. We had to go back to the table and ultimately they didn't want to concede. So we had to, we had to bail on the deal. But as you go through due diligence, right, there's a lot of different steps and we don't have to go through. Maybe that's a topic for a different episode, but you want to check all the boxes, make sure you're looking at everything, hire a good inspector, learn that lesson too. Um, uh, Learned them all. No, not them all. We've learned a lot though. (laughs) Yeah. But Yes. I mean, that's, you know, you're going through the steps, putting the money together. There's a lot that falls into that bucket, but ultimately that's the process of, of getting the deal to the closing table. And so when you're, when you're going through due diligence, you're also uh, lining up funds. So you, so if, you know, if you're using your money, that's great. Uh, but you still probably have to, you know, prepare your, your personal financial statement for the, for the bank or, um, you know, if you're buying it in cash, then it's less, less of a worry at that point. But a lot of times, you know, you're looking for an investor partner. You you're going back to those people that you've networked with, that you've met, and hopefully you've continued to nurture those relationships and say, "Hey, I got a live one on the hook, guys. Like it's time." You know, you said you'd be interested in partnering on something like this. What do you think? And you you got to put together a um, you know, an equity deck, right? That that would show like, here's the current property, here's how it's performing today, here's you know what we have it under contract for. Um, and here's the business plan and here's how we're going to, ex- you know, uh, add value to the property yep. by executing this business plan. And I would say another thing here is bank financing. It's a really timely topic right now is I think in the past few years, like bank financing was so easy to get. There's so many banks competing over getting the debt on a property that it was almost overlooked. Like you just forward over yeah. deal info and like yeah. the banks and we jump oh, all over it yeah. right now. It's, it's hard to get financing, right? There's a lot of turmoil in the banks right now. So at the end of the day, the bank's the biggest partner in your deal, generally. For sure. right? Like they're financing 75% of the deal. They're your biggest partner. So you have to look at them as an investor and ultimately put together a good pitch to sell the bank on investing in the deal because yep. that's what they're doing is they're investing in the deal. Yep. So I would say right now, right, like put together a great PowerPoint, right, a great pitch, send that to the bank, come across professional instead of you see a lot of times people are just forwarding an email over to the bank. Yeah. Like, this is the deal the if you have right. any questions. Yeah. And, now the bank, I just had a conversation like this with, with a banker the other day. He was like working with someone and they sent me, you know, 50 different documents, 20 different emails, and I'm sitting here grinding, trying to put everything together. Yeah. And that's just a bad way to start the deal. Whereas if you just send them over a nice clean PDF, 
here's every all the information you need. Let me know if yeah. you have any questions. I always think about it like uh, be a professional. Like in whatever you do and, and however you, you know, whatever you're doing, like you show up as a professional. Look, be easy to do business with, but look like you know your shit and what's going on. Even if you don't really, uh, you know, it takes it, it takes a little bit more effort to to do that legwork. But you're going to look, especially in the real estate world, there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, maybe not aren't necessarily that professional, right? Just like the guy that you were just talking about, emailing 50 things over or whatever, like, I wouldn't want to sift through that shit. You know, I, I, you know, so if you can make it easy for them, here's who I am. Here's the team. Here's the deal. Here's how I'm going to add a shit ton of value to the property. And it's going to be a good deal for you. And it's going to be a good deal for us and portray confidence. 100%. That's, that's key right now. Very key. And you, you kind of have to coordinate the whole transaction out. Now there's, you know, there's transaction coordinators, uh, with the banks, with the title companies. So you're going to get help with, you know, once you get it to this point and you can line up the funds and sell the bank on you, right? Like then at that point, um, you know, you you have them sort of tra- coordinate the whole transaction for you, but you still have to keep your keep your finger on the pulse of all the different things going on, the inspection, the appraisal, yeah. the, the the capital, the, the equity capital, the debt capital. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of administrative stuff that happens throughout closing, but I, that's a good point. I think when you're going through the closing process, at the end of the day, like time kills deals. So if there's an email from the from the bank, there's an email from the inspector, a call, right? You want to respond to that as quick as possible. You don't want to let that sit for a few days because then that sits for another few days and ultimately compounds and potentially kill the deal. So that's number one priority when you're looking at this, like especially financing. Get back to them quickly. Make sure you're responding quickly because that could that snowballs. Responsiveness is is key in business in general, right? But but certainly once you have a deal like that's even before you have a deal on the line. Like you, like you were talking about getting back to brokers, right? Like the faster that you can get back to people, like speed kills, you you can separate yourself that way. But certainly when you have a deal under under contract and you're moving towards the closing table, there's a lot of deadlines, uh, a lot of contingencies in place, right? So like the faster that you can uh, be buttoned up and professional and get back to people, uh, the, the better your deal is going to going to go the smoother that closing process is going to go yep and you have your closing dinner and deals closed so what's what's the final you go to the closing dinner you have a great time that's that's awesome and then you ask for another deal for from the broker and right. the lender and whoever else might might know it i say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek maybe you're not looking for another deal right away the the sixth step is to execute the business plan that's really when the rubber meets the road and, and the deal actually starts because you can go buy something and just kind of you know let it sit on autopilot and and those deals can go to shit. So you really have to when you're when you're putting together your business plan and your strategy, you've got to be thinking about once this deal closes, how can I, you know, quickly execute this strategy and this business plan and start, you know, basically finding ways to to uh e whether it's a rehab, whether it's rebranding, you're finding ways that you're going to be able to get rent, get a higher amount of rent and uh, increase the net operating income of the property and thus the value of the whole property. I agree. And I think I might've said before, deal flow is most important. This one might be more important or if, if not a close second. Everything else leading up to it, it's, it's exciting to close the deal, you know, post about it, do all that stuff. But the money is made in executing your business plan. For sure. If you're saying you're going to do these five things that add value to the property, and then you close the deal and kind of just hope everything goes to plan. You have a property manager and they, they, I told them what we need to do. They'll take care of it. 
that's generally not going to not going to work. You have to be on top of them. You have to be monitoring the numbers. You know, weekly reporting. We do weekly we do weekly uh, key performance indicator calls. You have reports that come to us every day, constantly tracking the numbers, making sure we're on target to hit our business plan because that's what you're going to do with this property on the front end is create that business plan. Now it's time to execute it. You being the deal guy and being the sponsor, it, you have to have full accountability, right? Like you, because everybody has their own priorities and their own, you know, agenda for things that they're going to do. And yeah, if you don't stay on people, um, even in your own company or in, you know, you know, it's just, or, or their vendors or whatever, right? Like if you don't stay on people consistently, that's why I'm such a big fan of like weekly cadences, right? We look at leasing, we look at CapEx forecasting, we look at like our our goals and how we are stacking up against what our goals were for the quarter, for the year, things like that. Um, you know, it helps if you just have a set meeting on the calendar and you're going to bang through that, uh, you know, on a weekly basis. And then you can follow up with people. It's It's like, it's an easy reminder. You can't you can't just wing it. I mean, yeah. you can, but well, that's, so that, that brings up a good point. So I think see this a lot, right? Where people assume if, you, if you're using a property manager, let's I'll use that scenario, right? Someone's going to use a third party property management company, and so many people just assume by hiring that property manager, you're good. You just sit back no. and watch the money hit your bank account. Yeah. What's like? What do you think you have to do to, act, to actually do that right? Well, there's and that that gets into the difference between property management and asset management. As the asset manager, or you know the deal sponsor, right? You're responsible for the overall performance of that. The property manager, you know they they can help you, and there's great property management companies, and then there's some that are you know aren't very good at all. But they're not they're not concerned with the financial performance of that asset. They're concerned with you know, getting leasing commissions. They're concerned with, um, you know, doing, you know, unit turns and, and, and basically getting, you know, their sort of cut of the pie, uh, you know, but, but it's not in, so you're looking at both the income and the expenses. You know, a lot of times they're concerned with the income because they're, you know, they're paid that, that fee based on the, uh, the rental property income. Right. Yeah. And they're less concerned about the expenses. And just to be clear, like I'm an advocate for using a property manager. We use property management and all of our stuff, but we have a great they, property management company that we're, uh, you know, we're vertically, vertically integrated with, which which is great. But I think, like you said, at the end of the day, the property manager they're gonna they're gonna collect the rent. They're gonna field the call on the weekend when the plumbing breaks. They're gonna you know go in and coordinate things. But at the end of the day, they're not looking at it as a macro view of like how is how what's this property worth? How am I adding value to the property? What's yeah. the strategic exit timeline? Exactly. sort of things that you need to be above them, right? And kind of overseeing everything, hitting them up when you need to, to ask questions about certain things or if a certain expense came up. If you're just sitting on the sidelines and you check it once a month, you're going to miss a lot of things. For sure. For sure. Thank you for tuning in to episode four, what you need to know to do your first deal. Some of the key takeaways were defining your path, getting educated and holding yourself accountable 30, 60 minutes a day, uh, to studying and learning and, 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 and continuously learning throughout your entire career, but, but certainly when you're getting started. And then networking, understanding the incentives and the interests of the people that you're looking to work with and build out your team will help you align those interests and help you get to the point where you're getting deal flow uh, and you're getting reps at underwriting deals and, and learning what actually is going to be a good deal so that when you do see that deal, you can get to the closing table, you get through due diligence, and um, and get to the, 
the final part, which is executing the business plan and uh, your strategy to add value and generate wealth. Um, thanks again for tuning in. This is episode four. We are uh, excited to be here with you and uh, can't wait to see you next time. Like, subscribe, smash the like button, share with your friends, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.